0: Lecture 7, Part 3 of The Endowments of Man by William Bernard Ullathorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lecture 7. On Evil and the Origin of Evil. Part 3. Leaving the fuller consideration of moral evil and the evil of punishment to the two following lectures, we will devote what remains of this to the consideration of natural evil natural evil is nothing more than the limitation of that good which belongs to the species in some member of that species of every species of creature there is a perfect form type or standard of excellence this type or standard is the perfect species it is the divine model or ideal upon which the species was created and when this species is fully realized in any particular example it is the most complete form of good in that kind the highest effort of human art is the attempt to reproduce in marble or on canvas the perfect form of the species the perfect example of the species embraces every good in the most complete order and harmony that belongs to that sort of creature it is the standard of good in that kind but this standard is rarely met with in the actual creation and is more commonly an ideal of the mind with which we measure the shortcomings that we find in individual examples Let us take some familiar example to help our explanation the horse is a beautiful animal especially in its finest models it is not only beautiful in itself but beautiful in its destination to the use and pleasure of man the good which it has must be chiefly estimated by this destination At a horse show the judges have an ideal in their minds of what is the best horse of its kind in point of size bone shape symmetry health strength spirit swiftness beauty and docility we may take their ideal as the standard of the species in that kind the horse which approaches nearest to the standard has the greatest amount of good and is pronounced the best the horse that fails most from the standard has the least amount of good in him and is therefore the worst yet notwithstanding these defects and failings from the perfection of the species what is in that horse is good as far as it exists even where there are very marked defects such as blindness lameness deformity or vicious temper these are but evils in the sense of being defects of sight soundness form or temper but whatever remains of these qualities is good and what fails is defect of goodness There are two great causes for the limitations that are found in every species of creature as compared with their perfect forms or standards of excellence. The first is to be found in that great law of wisdom by which God diversifies his works. The number of individuals in a species is countless, but if all were exact copies of the perfect form and type of the species, there would be nothing to individualize them nothing to distinguish them from each other each would be an exact presentment in all respects of the other so that we should never know which was which in place of the rich diversity of creation which gives a difference to every individual there would be a ridiculous monotony and sameness in all the members of the species destructive of the very notion of individuality but the divine artist does not repeat himself he varies his work without end supplying in variety what is wanting in infinitude he not only diversifies the orders kinds and species of his creation but the individuals within the species soul differing from soul body from body and face from face in countless changes upon the same specific form but this endless diversity of individual creations can only arise from the greater or less degree of good that is given to each as compared with the perfect type or standard of the species thus where any quality is possessed by one in a less degree than by another where one has less intelligence less vigour or less beauty we have the beginning of what is called natural evil which in fact is but a certain limitation of good but the great cause of natural evil is the fall of man and the vast amount of natural evil that appears in the world has been either the direct or the indirect consequence of that fall the memory of which is so deeply imprinted on the mind of the whole human race if we except the godless philosophers who have effaced it from their minds by hard and unfruitful labor This vast amount of natural evil, that is to say, of defective good in the world, bears upon it the character both of punishment and mercy. As everything in this world was made for man, and as man himself is the object and end of all that is in the world, we must expect, in the order of that divine providence which guides all things to their use and destiny, that when man underwent so great a change for the worse, all things destined for his use or pleasure would undergo a change adapted to his altered position. Not to expect such a change would argue a very poor notion of that eternal providence of God, which in its free and constant action in the world adapts all things both little and great to those final ends for which they were created the fall was the great crisis of the world as well as of the human race a crisis incomparably greater than that which brought about the deluge the earth was changed that man might have to toil in the sweat of his brow and that the toil might be the medicine of his life, as well as of his mortal body. Man lost his immortal life, and all creatures suffered a weakening of their good. Even since the fall, there has been so much willful deviation in human nature from order and rectitude, and for so long a time, that in a thousand ways men have been unfaithful to themselves through their unfaithfulness to god they have weakened their natures by the conduct of their wills by the abuse of their minds by the corrupting of their senses and by the immoderate excess of their impulses and appetites from all this there has come a prodigious amount of disorder that is of the defect of that good which properly belongs to human nature By continuance and contact, this disorder increases with endless complication and entanglement. What a number of disorders affecting health and life spring from that crowded and harassing civilization, that artificial and complicated life, in which the few are exalted and the multitude degraded what a variety of deformities and corporal defects take their rise from the conditions of certain kinds of labor yet this state of things is the work of human wills then the poverties and defects of human bodies descend to their offspring and we have only to watch the transmission of corporal defects and disorders from parents to children from generation to generation often originally contracted from moral causes to find confirmation of the transmission of original sin from adam to his race and though parents but transmit their corporal limitations defects and dispositions in one way or another yet as the body is the prison of the soul And the instrument she must use in her thoughts feelings and actions the soul herself suffers contraction and limitation in the exercise of her powers through her intimate connection with the body and because the soul acts not in this life without the tie of corporal influences the corporal weaknesses and disorders which their own folly and excess have contracted Is one of the most fearful responsibilities of parents. So obvious are these and many similar things to reflecting minds that it is easy to understand how the great amount of natural evil has had its origin in human wills unfaithful to the good of their nature. The good we have in this world is a relative good. Our absolute good is our final end. When, therefore we come to estimate the final value of the good we have from this world we must take another standard than its actual amount for our present good can only be considered valuable as a means to bring us to our final and everlasting good but what kind and what amount of natural good in this world will best help us to obtain our final good can only be perfectly known to god who sees all things in all their bearings on each other from the beginning to the end of time it was the very greatness of his natural gifts that prompted lucifer one of the noblest of created spirits to take pride in himself and to aspire beyond himself whereby he lost his final good and fell into ruin so has it fared with many of God's intelligent creatures, who have received strong or beautiful bodies, and with many who have received the noblest qualities of soul. Had they been less gifted with natural good, they might have been less sensual, less proud, less vain, less presuming. More humble with humbler gifts, they might have been happier in this world and have reached eternal happiness great gifts require a great grace to guide them but a great grace can only consist with a great humility and great powers of nature and possessions of natural good are not held and used with humility unless there be something like heroic virtue the possession of great natural good is too apt to draw the affections upon their possessor, and the constant comparison with less gifted persons that is forced upon the more gifted swells that self-estimation which degenerates into self-love, so that the love which is due to God and to eternal things is given to self and to self-surroundings but this is that spiritual injustice that leads to spiritual ruin how many persons on the other hand have had reason to be eternally grateful that their natural good was limited and that this kept them humble and disposed them for the reception and good use of their supernatural gifts abiding in their simplicity they have been more drawn to god and less to themselves thanks to those very limitations which the divine providence ordained for them and so they have ascended to the possession of the everlasting good a deformed and sickly body may be taken as an example of natural evil yet as if in compensation it often leads itself to an acute and sensible mind Novalis maintained with some truth that the mind seldom gets its full power in a strong and vigorous body. Human life is full of these compensations. A deformed and sickly body is nevertheless a serious limitation of natural good, but such limitations often become the occasion of a detachment from the good of this life and brings the soul to seek superior good of the highest order each one has a given amount of spiritual power which is commonly expended out of all just proportion upon the body to the detriment of the soul but when the body is less attractive and less flattering in promise when it becomes an affliction rather than a solace The man who is loyal to his superior part will more easily detach his soul from his body and fix his affections on the better things. Loosening his spirit from his frail mortality, which gives him less food for vanity, he can more readily attach himself to eternity and make his natural poverty the means of enriching himself with spiritual good. He may thus exchange his natural deformity for a spiritual beauty, and his sickness for a health and fullness of life that shall last forever, and be the more enjoyed for the suffering from which he has emerged. It does not follow, however, that a greater natural good is not better in itself and better even relatively if rightly used and wisely directed to the final good but all good in this world is relative to our final good and god alone knows who will be saved with a greater amount of natural good and who will only be saved with a less amount of that relative good With respect to the goods of fortune, nothing can be more certain than that many are better and happier without them than they would be with them, and that many are saved without them who would not be saved with them. Attachment to them, or the restless desire of them, is a great weakening of the soul. Detachment from them is the test and proof of spiritual strength he but little knows those goods but little knows the dignity of his own soul and has no great strength of faith who does not understand that the gifts of fortune are more given to be denied and sacrificed for the growth of the soul in generosity than given to be appropriated to personal use and self-aggrandizement for we are called to be the co-operators of god's providence and the imitators of his divine bounty in distributing that good which he accumulates in the hands of some for the benefit of many yet they become the perilous occasion of dangerous temptations not only to pride and selfishness which are the roots of all evil but to every vice to which they lend the means there is but one principle of conduct that can make them safe and that is to act as the stewards of god in using them as though we used them not privation therefore of earthly goods is so far from being an evil with respect to man's final good that by the divine dispensation it is often the certain means of securing that final good. But with regard to the limitation of natural good, although some receive less and some more, those who have received less have received no evil or wrong. They have received nothing but what is good, and have no right by any title to more than they have received putting aside every envy and complaint as injurious to ourselves as well as to justice each one of us may say with the prophet Isaiah, and now o lord thou art our father and we are clay thou art our maker and we are the work of thy hands or with st paul we may ask ourselves the question o man who art thou that repliest against god shall the thing formed say to him that formed it why hast thou made me thus or hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honour and another unto dishonour we have seen far into the providence of god When we come to understand how many who abound in natural good make it the cause of losing their supreme good and how many who are poor in natural good make it the cause of seeking their eternal good yet when great natures devote themselves to cultivate their gifts and powers in the direction of the supreme good it is wonderful how much they accomplish both for the honor of god and the good of mankind still the great number who are highly gifted waste themselves in vain either in mental pursuits that begin and end in this world or in an ambition that looks not to god as its end or in pleasures that expend the body and degrade the soul secure in the divine profundity of his sense st paul has ventured upon a bold audacity of speech he calls that divine conduct which exalts the weak and poor of this world to the eternal good the weakness and the foolishness of god the apostle would give a shock to our fastidious pride and would open our eyes with his irony to see the utter disproportion of natural good to that universal good to which men are called and to which humility and poverty help us to aspire to the weak pride of foolish mortals this disproportion between man's natural good and god's divine good is unintelligible they secretly imagine that what is great in their eyes is great in the eyes of god although God judges the value of men, not by their natural gifts, but by their inward motives. For, says the Apostle, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For see the vocation, brethren, in which you are called, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but the foolish things of the world hath God chosen, that he may confound the wise, and the weak things of the world, and the things that are contemptible, and the things that are not, that he might bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his sight. Briefly, the Almighty shows by his choice of souls, that the wisdom power and wealth of this world are as nothing in his sight that he lifts up the humble and puts down the proud that he keeps those to their divine destiny who are subject to him and resist not his will whilst the self-sufficient who will not enter into his ways must needs be left to their downward course among the shallows of created things that verge on nothingness we cannot better conclude this lecture than with one of those large views of the ways of god to man which the saints have seen in their ecstatic contemplations hearken then to what saint catherine of siena learnt of the providence of god in contracting the limits of our natural good god speaks to her soul in light and like the prophets saint Catherine puts that light into human terms to adapt the instruction to this lecture i shall translate her words from the first person to the third behold in his providence god has fitted the second world to the changed condition of man no sooner has he fallen from his first condition AND THE WORLD PRODUCED THE THORNS OF MANY TRIBULATIONS, AND IN EVERYTHING HE FOUND REBELLION. THIS DID NOT COME TO PASS WITHOUT A PROVIDENTIAL INTENTION FOR OUR GOOD. WITH THE GREAT PROVIDENCE DIRECTED TO OUR SERVICE, GOD CHANGED THE WORLD FROM A PLACE OF PLEASURE THAT ITS EVER-RETURNING TROUBLES MIGHT TAKE OFF MAN'S TRUST FROM THE WORLD might repel his heart and affections from it, and cause him to rise to better things, and to hasten to the God who is the true end of his desires. So ignorant is man, and so prone to cast his affections down into the world, that notwithstanding all the thorns and toils that meet him there, he seems unwilling to rise above the world and to care for his true country what then would have been his case had he found a world of perfect delight and rest free from pain and sorrow but god has ordained it in his providence that this world should be a scene of many tribulations both to exercise the virtues of men and to secure them the reward of whatever pains they endure and of whatever violence they do themselves the wealth of god is infinite he made all things and nothing exists without him if we desire beauty he is beauty if we desire good he is goodness and the good supreme he is wisdom he is the benignant the just the merciful god he is large in bounty and never avaricious he gives to them who ask opens his truth to them who seek and answers them who call upon him he is not ungrateful but quick to reward them who labor for the praise and glory of his name he is full of delight and he holds those in his delight who are clothed with his will he is himself that good providence which never fails his servants that rely on him for their wants of soul and body when one sees how god fosters the poor worm and the dry wood how he feeds the birds of the air the beasts of the field and the fishes in the sea how he makes his sun to shine on the plants and gives the dew to fatten the earth can we doubt That he will cherish the creature that he made to his own image and likeness? Let that creature know that God, in his goodness, made all those things for his service. Turn himself, where he will, to spiritual or to temporal things, and man will find nothing that comes not from the burning charity of God in a great, sweet, and perfect providence. But because his light is dimmed, he neither sees nor cares to see. He is scandalized, shuts up his charity against his neighbour, and avariciously thinks of tomorrow. Yet the very truth forbade us to do this and said, Take not thought for tomorrow, sufficient for the day is the evil thereof he taught us to seek the kingdom of god and his justice which is a good and holy life but as to these least of things our heavenly father knoweth that we have need of them and he made them for us and commanded the earth to bring us its fruits but the miserable man who narrows his heart into mistrust of god and withholds his charity from his neighbour Has never truly read this doctrine of the eternal truth because he does not follow it he grows intolerable to himself for all evil comes upon us from trusting to oneself and not in god men like these presume to judge what god alone can judge they do not know the will of god because they judge nothing to be good except the propensities delights and gratifications of this world their hope and their affections are set upon them and when they fail these men think that they have none of the good providence of god over them but are stripped of all that is good blinded with their passion for natural and external good they know nothing of the wealth of the soul nor of the profit of patience their temporal loss is death to them so that even in this life they have a foretaste of hell yet god provides for the sinners as for the just and makes his sun to shine and his rain to fall upon their field sometimes even more than on the possession of the just man in his goodness god does this That he may be more bountiful in spiritual wealth to the soul of the just man and especially to him who despoils himself of temporal things who surrenders the world and its pleasures and gives up his will to god such as these forget the care of themselves and become rich and great in the heights of divine charity god himself then becomes their provider and governor both spiritually and temporally and beyond his general providence he puts forth a special providence on their behalf and the holy spirit serves them with a loving condescension look for example at that holy solitary of whom we read in the lives of the saints who had left all things for the sake of god in his helpless infirmity god sent an angel to provide for his needs who both relieved his corporal wants and refreshed his soul with the sweet delight of heavenly conversation like a mother feeding her child from her breast did the holy spirit nourish him with the good of divine charity he was delivered from the bondage of self-love and set free as though he were made a lord the holy spirit became his providence clothing feeding and inebriating him with spiritual delight after giving up all things he found all things after despoiling himself of perishable goods he was invested with eternal goods he became the servant of all humility and that made him the master of the world and of his sensual nature with his mind turned from the world he entered into the perfect light and after despairing of good in himself he was crowned with living faith and tasted of that eternal life in perfect hope that knows no pain or bitterness as he judged all things by the will of god he judged them well and he knew in the light of faith that god willed nothing whatever for him but sanctification which gave him all the strength of patience oh how blessed is that soul that in a mortal body partakes immortal good a soul like this holds everything in reverence on the left side as well as on the right whether it bring tribulation or consolation, whether it bring hunger and cold or food and comfort, whether it bring honor or dishonor, whether it bring affliction or refreshment of soul. As a soul like this is founded on the living rock, she stands firm and solid in all that occurs, knowing by faith and assured by hope, that god provides whatever we stand in need of with an equal regard to our salvation where there is a great strain or toil or suffering he gives proportionate strength to endure he lays no heavier weight upon us than our will is able to carry with love for his sake he has made it known in his own blood that he wills not the death of the sinner but that he may be converted and live. But whilst the whole providence of God is directed to the service of the souls and bodies of his rational creatures, his providence over the body aims at the good of the soul, that she may grow in the light of faith, and may rise higher in the hope of God, and may give up her trust in herself, and may know and see that god is all things to us who both can and will help us in whatever is helpful to our salvation end of lecture seven part three